This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne Marie Schieber at Healthcare News. Let's say you're in the hospital and the treatment you're getting is not working and you think it's making you sicker. Do you have the right to stop it? That question has come up in a hospital in Palo Alto, California, involving a four-year-old girl who is being treated for a bacterial infection. I'm joined today by her mother, Hope Schachter, uh, who will tell us what's going on and why she is bringing this to the public's attention. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me and for being willing to share Autumn's story. Well, Hope, thank you for joining us and, uh, you know, thank you for the, taking the time and the courage to come forward. Uh, tell us what's going on with your daughter, four-year-old Autumn. Yeah, so, you know, about a month ago, my son had, an, um, he had diarrhea, which, you know, we would later go on to discover was probably an E. coli infection. And um, uh, he had it for a few days, and he was fine in good spirits. And then a few days later, my daughter started having similar symptoms, only hers was about every 20 minutes, um, and that was day and night. So we went to urgent care, and um, we actually went twice to urgent care over the course of five days. They kind of said stomach bug, but at the second time, they mentioned something called intussusception. And intussusception is sort of a small prolapse that can occur in the intestine or the colon. And the um, symptoms were diarrhea every 20 minutes. So um, they don't actually diagnose it there with a CT scan or an ultrasound. They make you go to the emergency room. And so we went, and they said that she did not have intussusception, but that she had an E. coli infection, and they don't treat pediatric E. coli there. Um, And so we would have to transfer to a children's hospital. And it was interesting because she had um, urine output that was fine up to that point. Uh, I was actually surprised, given all the diarrhea that she had, that she wasn't more dehydrated. Um, so she was able to fill a urinalysis cup. Um, you know, she was she was being uh, up until we got to Lucille Packard. And then once we got here, um, the way that they diagnosed her is a, a, a syndrome called HUS that is um, it's thought to be sort of uh, a kidney infection that occurs when the toxic byproducts of E. coli um, start to break down and move through the bloodstream and, and mess with the kidneys. So they're protocol was um, very aggressive. My daughter had never even been on Tylenol before. She'd never really been sick. And so, um, you know, when they're throwing all these uh, massive diuretics, the likes of which I would go on to understand actually have side effects of um, kidney injury and kidney failure, um, I just felt like it was a lot for her constitution. We're prior fire victims, and I just know she has a very uh, sensitive system from stress and um, just, you know, her, her kind of her personality, right? She's just a sensitive little girl. And so um, when they kept, you know, adding more and more medications, I I started to become alarmed. And at one point she wound up throwing up blood, um, even oh. though I was trying to ask, yeah, I was trying to ask to pace these medications. I was told I was resisting treatment. I just didn't really understand how, how I was getting to this point where her kidneys were obviously shutting down when I thought we were supposed to be supporting the kidneys. So they move on to this, um, you know, this, drip of the medication, so it's constantly being exposed to it instead of just these cocktails that they're spacing out. Um, 
and we're just getting no output, at which point they're also demanding things like a catheter, which don't make sense to me because she, if she isn't urinating, why would we do a catheter? And I asked for bladder scans instead, and um, then maybe consider catheter if there's a lot of urine in her bladder. But I was told that we would not be you know, welcome in the ICU because that was their standard of care and that she would um, have to be medifact if she needed dialysis. Um, we went on to have issues with, um, you know, dialysis treatment and getting her the blood transfusion of a direct donor. We wound up having to arrange all of that ourselves, you know, um, things like a court order were threatened um, where, you know, they thought we wouldn't get her dad's blood in time, but that was because of their own doing and not because of, you know, uh, our being able to arrange it. My husband was actually able to rush it at the, at the last moment. Um, and they wound up being wrong about, you know, the turnaround time in general. Um, so we had been pushed off to the point where, you know, when you take a blood product, you as the parent assume all risk. So it says on the paperwork that you sign, like, you know, HIV, any, any of those things that you could be exposed to, like the hospital seems no liability. Um, so this would, you know, progressed to the point where we had to undo the port for dialysis because it was done improperly. And then, um, you know, if she winds up urinating, they're pushing fluids on her before she's ready. Her blood pressure gets too high. They tell me, oh, that recommendation was due to a charting error. Um, you know, wow. they, she starts to... Yeah. So, so this got to, this got go complicated. This got complicated so quickly. Give us a timetable. Rapidly. She went from urgent care and then went to another hospital, and then they pushed her to a children's hospital. When did this all start? Yeah. yeah so the um, gosh, I think it was like you know she went to urgent urgent care a couple times, went home, but on the second time when she came home, uh, you know my husband told me that they brought up into deception. and so by the time we got to the children's hospital, we were probably a week into her diarrhea, right? Um, but after that, now it's been about three weeks of just, you know, constant clinical errors and, you know, potential malpractice. So, so, like, so like mid-September, you started noticing these symptoms and after urgent yeah. care, they didn't really see any emergency. They just said, you should probably right. go to the hospital. And then the hospital, yeah. like, so nobody had this urgency at any point. They no. just said, get to no, a children's hospital. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, and I was I was the one pushing that something was off. And, but I, I always have hesitation because many uh, children's hospitals are actually teaching hospitals. And that makes me very uncomfortable that, mm -hmm. um, you know, my daughter would be kind of practiced on. And from the moment she arrived, the attending doctor said, you know, uh, she'll be the case study of the week instead of Ooh. sort of seeing her as a person, right? right. Like this little person. Um, it was very odd language to me. Well, um, so you had really no connection to this hospital. You went in kind of blindly and you just trusted them. And, you know, people think teaching hospitals, you get cutting edge care, children's hospitals specializes mm. in pediatric cases. So you think you're in good hands. But at what point did you feel like they were kind of um, putting you on the sidelines? Were they consulting with you? Did you have a, a pretty close um, relationship, working relationship early on? No, not really. Like I noticed right off the bat, right, with the conversation calling her. And I, I have to be totally honest. So I actually worked at this hospital about uh, maybe eight years ago as a okay. therapist. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so I was familiar with teaching hospitals. And that's why when people talk about them being cutting edge, I was like, oh, those are people learning, you know, <laughs> they're, not really, they're, not, they're not really actually specialized. They're, they're learning how to specialize, but they aren't. So, um, so when I got here, I already had my guard up actually, but especially when, um, you know, in front of my daughter, they were saying things like, um, you know, well, she could die. And it was just like, she's oh. crying. She's holding on to me. It was just, um, it, it wasn't like we're here to support you every step of the way. We want to assist you in, in, um, individualizing, you know, our standard of care to your daughter's needs. It wasn't like that. It was very, um, it was very, uh, the hostel, you know, yeah. it felt, um, it felt like there was a hierarchy and we were on the, the totem pole. So when she was admitted, um, they probably did a diagnostic workup and, uh, came up with a treatment plan. Um, at what point did she end up in ICU? Uh, so the ICU was when um, they wanted to do the drip of the diuretic. So then when they're doing all these like combinations and they were spacing them apart, they want to move her up a level of care when they're going to have a constant drip. And I do believe that that's because that's much more aggressive on the kidneys um, and because she would have to have a catheter placed. So, um, so we were on the ICU until she um, uh, had the port put in uh, for her first dialysis treatment, and then they moved us down one level. We would later come back to the ICU after I had concerns about her rapid um, her rapid urine output and weight loss over a short period of time, which resulted in her having a seizure. Um, and then we found ourselves back on the ICU. Yeah. Uh, how many weeks into this back and forth? did you realize uh, something's not going right and you started raising red flags and tell, tell me how that went? Yeah, you know, it was kind of a, a progression. I did work with some medical advocacy groups to once I started to really understand the medications that they had used from the start. I was like, why would they use medications that are forceful on the kidneys when they're when they're under assault already from from this infection, right? Um, but then there were just a lot of errors, right? I mentioned the one about pushing fluids when that was actually um, contraindicated that, you know, she would be retaining fluids. She started to get really puffy and she gained up to six pounds in, in water weight. And I wasn't the, or I was the one who came to ask them, why, um, you know, she's not wanting to drink and I've been pushing fluids at your recommendation for 24 hours. Why, why is, why is she, you know, her blood pressure is going up and she's gaining so much weight and they said, you know, that, oh, don't do that. Um, but then there were other ones too, like when they're recommending medications to get her um, potassium levels down because her kidneys aren't doing that. Um, they are, you know, missing the fact that, you know, I'm speaking with patient advocates who say, hey, but if you're going to give this particular medication, make sure calcium levels aren't, aren't too low. And it was odd because she had been begging me for milk and I had mentioned that to the team before. Um, like, you know, she doesn't really drink milk. She begging me for milk could there be a reason why and so they were going to give this medication without checking her calcium levels and because I asked um, they wound up they wound up saying oh she does need calcium supplementation so because calcium you know if it's too low it can affect your heart so it was just a, a real erosion of trust over the yeah. course of these few weeks so what what's her status now is she still in the hospital and, yeah, and what, yeah. Okay. And then where, what do you want to do? Do you want to get her out and bring her somewhere else? Tell us how that's yeah, going. I mean, at this point, um, we felt uh, kind of held hostage in terms of her care. So 
Um, after she had her seizure, they actually told us that they wanted to intubate her for an MRI, um, and she would, you know, need to be um, evaluated for a stroke. And so we agreed, but then they kept her on the ventilator. And at first, they kept telling us, like, oh, the ventilator is going to move the fluid out of her lungs that she has. And I believe that's from aspirating on throwing up all the water that they were forcing me to get her to drink when she was losing so many fluids and then wound up having the seizure. So, um, and then they had administered a drug without my consent, a medication without my consent. That was one of the ones that was during those first initial protocols, and they did it in the middle of the night. And when I said I was going to file a grievance, um, they actually wound up calling Child Protective Services. Wow. So there, yeah, so there has been um, just, yeah, just a, 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 now we're sort of under coercion for any of the treatments that they want to administer, and so we're seeking resources in terms of legal help, and then also resources in terms of maybe um, second opinions, because we were we told them that we wanted a different doctor than the one who you know uh, ordered the medication without my consent and administered it, um, and also who called CPS, uh, and we were, uh, you know that we don't get to do that. So, yeah, so um, you you can't yeah. get her, you can't get take her out of the hospital. I mean, she sounds like she's very critically yeah. sick, and even if you were to find an alternative treatment center to do so, would be really uh, a very difficult thing. Correct? Yeah, it's you know it's hard to know because we have conflicting input. Um, I have spoken with medical advocates about what they're reporting for her, um, her respiratory abilities, um, and so I do feel like that they have heavily sedated her to the point where she's sort of been set up to fail. Um, so we have been asking to reduce the sedation. I have a high tolerance to sedation, so it's important to me to really see where she is in terms of her ability to breathe on her own um, without her being so heavily medicated. So, um, And we're just not feeling like we're, we're being partnered with. Let me back up a little bit. Child Protective Services, what did they do? Did they just basically tie your hands and say, you can't do anything? Or... Well, it was interesting because at the time I had actually spoken to the doctors the night before. Um, so we spoke to the neurologist about her MRI results and they did recommend an anti-seizure medication, but they let me know that it would be, um, you know, potential side effect to her kidney. So it could affect her kidney function. Um, and so I spoke to some patient advocates about some alternatives, but I didn't get to speak to the doctor yet about it. In addition, um, they wanted to place a pick line, but they had recently just put in three new IVs. And I thought, well, I'm not going to place the pick line if, you know, she just got these IVs in. And so the doctors had said at one point, well, you know, um, if, if we need one, it might be an emergent situation. We might have to wake you in the middle of the night. And I said, well, that's fine. My, you know, that's my job as a mother. And they said, well, you might only have a few minutes to decide. And I said, okay, well, I'm her mom. That is my job. Um, and so then when uh, CPS came, uh, and they spoke to me, they said that I had declined any seizure medication, which at that point I had been asking the nurse, where are the doctors? I really want to speak to them about a medication. Um, and they told me that they, it had been reported that I declined a pick line, which was, you know, mandatory to her, her care. Um, I would later, I would, which was not true, right? Um, so I would later go on to have a, a meeting with CPS and the doctors and um, you know, we had been working to avoid those harsher diuretics from the beginning, and um, there was one that a patient advocate had recommended that was much slower acting. So instead of forcing the kids to do something within an hour, uh, it took four to six hours. And we had used that at one point in her treatment um, 
in, in avoiding those, those, you know, like lace breaks and, and diarrhea and that cocktail that she, she entered with, um, or she entered into. So, all right. So they're, they're involved and, uh, have they threatened to, um, uh, I don't know, supplant your parental rights? Are they, are they going to court? Yeah. So they, yeah. So they gave us, um, they gave us that night to, um, to comply with her care. And in the meeting, I had even asked about another thiazide drug. So it is faster acting than the one we've been using, but, um, but initially they said no. And later that night after CPS left, they said yes. So, um, when they went to install the pick line that night, because we felt like we were coerced into complying, uh, we had asked during that meeting with CPS too, to have her evaluated for like to testing for an infection because she'd been on the ventilator for a few days. Um, and she potentially aspirated before she had the seizure with throwing up the water. And so she, they said no, because they didn't want to throw antibiotics at any old thing, basically, um, which they're already giving her tons of medications at that point. Um, but then later that night, she developed a fever. So when they went to place the pick line, we were told by the, um, by the vascular team that it's against hospital policy to place a pick line in a patient that has an active infection. And so we would be assuming a risk. And so we had to consent. And we felt like that was under coercion, whereas we may not have taken that risk um, unless we were being unless we were being you know forced to comply with CPS. The next morning, um, even though we did everything they asked, um, you know, a resident had come and told us like, okay, they're willing to accept the other side side the DIRL, um, and I made her confirm, and so we started that one that night. And then the next morning, CPS called and said, your court hearing is at 1:30 p.m. because because we're told we're we're told you're you're not in compliance. Oh my goodness. So now you got to leave your daughter and and defend your parental rights, and you're just not your your head. You're dealing with an adversary, not a partner. In your, uh, it sounds like. Um, did you enlist anyone? Have you called an attorney, your family doctor? Any? Um, I, I understand you're working with a group. Tell tell us about that. Sure. Yeah. Well, we've been working with Remnant Nursing. They're uh, wonderful, as well as, as a couple other um, uh, patient advocacy groups. And they've been, you know, trying to connect us. I think the difficult thing was that we found out at the hearing that um, California requires you to take a dependent court course before you can represent someone in a case like ours. So we had an attorney um, assigned to us. Uh, but she did a little breakout session, and she was actually very empathetic, um, especially because I could prove with her medical records that we had complied to everything. Um, and so the fact that CPS was consulting with the doctors and the doctors were saying we haven't, we could disprove. We were also not served properly. We were never served. They told me to text them my email address, and we would get the Zoom link to the hearing. Um, and then we didn't receive due process. We had no idea what documents were going to be provided to the court before the hearing started. And our lawyer actually didn't get all of the documents um, until the hearing had begun. So, and some of those I received after the hearing. Um, so, yeah, we were definitely, uh, you know, put in a position where we didn't get to utilize our constitutional rights. Yeah. So what happened at this hearing? Well, they couldn't technically court order us because we had complied. There was nothing to court order. So they couldn't remove our daughter from our care, but they did have a stipulation, some sort of minute order, where we couldn't refuse emergent life-saving um, uh, procedures. So, you know, that's very vague, and that was not specified. And they did set a hearing date for two weeks 
if we did not comply. So if we were out of compliance on that, then we would have to return for a hearing. So we're still under the state we're still under a state of coercion at this point because we don't know what they're going to try to justify as life saving. Hope, yeah, what do you think is driving this? Is the hospital acting defensively? I mean, it just has broken down in so many levels, and your daughter is not getting better. Right. Um, what do you think is up their sleeve? I mean, why are they fighting against, working against you and not with you? I do believe that from the beginning that there were so many um, you know, clinical errors that it started to... Um, it started to be very obvious that malpractice was occurring. And once I stated that I was going to be filing grievances, um, especially on something with like real legal ramifications, such as um, administering medication to a child without consent of the parent, uh, that it was less than 24 hours later before they involved child protective services. So um, I do think if they can make us seem as though we are unfit parents, that, that absolves them of anything that we could try to, um, to prove against them. Whew. So yeah. things are kind of at a standstill. Yeah. How, how are you holding up? I mean, you, you have other children. You said you had a son. Any, um, t- tell us how you're holding up. I mean, yeah. you can't be with her 24-7. I am. I am actually in the, in the hearing, though. They mentioned, like, when um, I had asked to speak to a doctor um, because, we could prove with her medical records that we had complied. I went into the hallway and said, I need to speak to a doctor now because we were told there would be a hearing um, and that they were saying the opposite had occurred. Uh, that in the hearing, it was said that uh, I was reported to security. So I'm actually concerned that if I leave, they won't let me come back in. Um, and so I'm in the room with my newborn and my husband is back and forth with our toddler. Um, so I, I actually have not left Autumn's side. And at this point, I wouldn't want to because I don't trust her care. Wow. Okay. So you have a four-year-old. That's, I mean, your son is the oldest, right? Or yeah, the um, so Autumn my, is the oldest? Yes. And my toddler is 20 months and my newborn is she second for four months. Wow. Boy, you have your hands full, even yeah. under just <laughs> yeah. when yeah. None, none of this is going on. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, boy, our hearts and prayers go out to you and your your daughter. I, I saw her beautiful picture, and yeah. I just really hope for the best here. Um, I guess I, I, I don't know what is left to ask you because you're kind of, like I said, in a holding pattern. Um, in emergency situations, you know, it's very, there's little time to debate the pros and the cons. And and this was kind of an emergency situation. Your daughter needed care. Um, if you could do this over again, what would you have done differently? There were quite a few things that I would have done differently. Um, but particularly when it came to the MRI, um, I had consulted with, with a medical advocate because she was She'd had the seizure. She was given Ativan and a CT scan, and it didn't seem super concerned. They said there's a little blurry spot on there, but she was doing all the things they required of her, like pushing and pulling with her hands. Her eyes were still closed um, because it was bright. She hadn't slept all night because she'd been throwing up, and um, they had given her Ativan, so she was tired. Um, but they kind of made it sound like, oh, let's just let her wake up and see. Um, but one of the doctors was very pushy and hostile about doing an MRI to rule out a stroke, which of course we, you know, would eventually maybe have wanted to do, but I would have liked to have given her time instead of then putting her on a ventilator. Because once you're on a ventilator, you're sort of, you genuinely are trapped. And 
she went on to develop pneumonia, which is now one of the reasons that we're continuing to have to remain here. Um, you know, and and eventually, because of our objections to what took place after that with the involvement of CPS, um, we have had difficulty with, you know, the idea that we can't even AMA her if we feel that she's better and move, move her care, you know. Um, so, yeah, let, let's explain to our audience that's against medical advice. It's a formal procedure you can take in a hospital as a patient to discharge yourself. Right. Uh, is that correct? And, and you've you've tried you've looked into that route. Right. And and at this point, that could only be done if someone helped us with the fact that we didn't receive due process against that minute order. So any legal help is actually very helpful because um, you know we we could eventually or not even eventually, we could counter what took place with CPS as, you know, um, not upholding our constitutional rights and, and it would it would we would be able to issue a stay with CPS and, and they could no, no longer be involved. But um, the process to do that needs someone who's familiar with dependence court. So that's that's the issue that we're in right now is a lot of the um, resources we're receiving are out of state or, you know, they've worked with, with medical malpractice, but not necessarily with dependence court. Um, and it's so, it's so it's really piecing all of those things together so that when we feel that she's in uh, good enough shape, we can get her into the care that we feel um, more comfortable with, that we that we feel that we could trust. Yeah. Well, Hope, um, we wish you the very best. And again, mm-hmm. our, our, our thoughts and prayers, uh, my thoughts and prayers are going to be with you. I know it's painful to be in a hospital. And for parents, it's even more painful when it's their children. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I said, we're, we're really hoping for the best here. Um, and I will include some links to the notes, uh, including a link to this organization you've been working with, Remnant Nursing Advocacy. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've done a couple of articles on this about patient rights in hospitals. It really seems to have changed quite a bit uh, since COVID. Yeah. And you're in a tough state, California. So uh, yeah. we write quite a bit about California. So I'll, I'll include some links to some related articles. Keep us posted. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, we hope for the best in this situation. Very difficult. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for sharing Autumn's story. I think the biggest um, part right now is not just the resources, but, um, you know, keeping the pressure on them that we are not, uh, we are not in a vacuum here that, you know, um, people outside of the hospital are also watching and observing and, um, making sure that, you know, no further harm comes our way. Yeah. Well, thank you um, again for coming on and, and thank you listeners for, for listening to this. And if you, we should mention, if you appreciated this discussion, uh, share the link and become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast. We, we talk about content like this uh, very frequently and uh, we appreciate your time. We'll be back with another discussion on healthcare policy and news from a free market perspective. This is Anne-Marie Schieber. Mm-hmm.